is the story of cycles and of the human behavior that is responsible for overreactions in both directions. With that as the theme, welcome to our Zoom web series hosted by One Tree Hill and PMS Card on the Juggernauts, conversations with uncommon and curious fund managers. We have with us today the CIO from one of India's most prominent uh, family offices. Uh, Binefort joins us from the Ray Global Investment, uh, the family arm of Amit Patni. Uh, Binefort has, of course, worked across a multitude of institutions such as Citibank, ICSA Proof, RBS, and has close to two decades of experience uh, under her. Welcome, welcome Binefort, to the Juggernauts. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, if you're ready, you know, uh, what we like to dive into is what we call our Machine Gun 15, a quick fire round of questions uh, where we hopefully you have as much fun as we do. So if you're ready, I can dive into that. Sure, let's get in. Perfect. Uh, what do you think is the motivation for today's investor? I would say real returns. Okay. I think uh, it's going to be harder and harder to get, uh, you know, positive uh, real rate, real, real returns uh, to sustain the, you know, the slowdown and everything which is under our belt. So I think the biggest challenge that investors will face in the next two years is real returns. Okay. And you mentioned slowdown and the government has taken a few steps through the stimulus uh, which they've put into the markets. Do you think they still have a few silver bullets uh, remaining from their side? Uh, I definitely think so. I think, uh, in my view, the way uh, the government is panning out the measures towards, uh, you know, managing this COVID crisis, not only on the health front, but on the financial services front as well. Uh, I think they are taking a, a, you know, a ladder up approach to what might unveil. And I think that is a very prudent way of uh, executing uh, uh, through a problem. Uh, we were just hearing some reports. I'm sure you've read of some of them, which uh, which was suggesting that since the U.S. Uh, as an economy has used such a large amount of uh, stimulus just at the very beginning, uh, they are going to find it uh, a little more uh, uh, deep. Uh, they'll have to dig a little deeper. Uh, if they actually uh, get a very huge second wave and third wave and things like that. Correct. So in my view, that is uh, our approach, the way we are steadily stepping up things, uh, the way we are prudently, uh, like yesterday, the RBI announced that they will set up a KV Commerce Committee uh, to kind of give the banks, uh, uh, you know, uh, a way to how, how to approach the moratorium and uh, suggestion of RBI. I think that makes sense. No, that's fair. And sort of, you know, talking on uh, the sort of the moratorium, which we are, uh, you know, witnessing right now, you know, whether it's retail, whether it's an institutional level, uh, is the NBFC problem as difficult as it looks as of now? To my mind, yes. Um, okay. I think we entered uh, into a problem uh, much ahead of the COVID crisis. And... Uh, I think uh, a lot of things started changing in this space post island affairs, which absolutely the world knows. Sure. But uh, I think financial services itself went through a little bit of a, a jolt after demon. So from there is, I think, when you know this whole cycle has been a little wobbly. Sure. Uh, NBFCs, to my mind, uh, have been doing very wholesale kind of lending. 
and I think that is actually the crux of the issue. Um, okay. I remember Mr. Kota quoting uh, uh, Kota quoting in one of the uh, one of the interviews that uh, you know there were 400 NBFCs at his time when when he launched KMFL and which only led to 10 or 12 sustaining out of that crisis. So sure. my sense is that we will see consolidation coming going ahead. Okay. And you're sort of sticking to this NBFC theme. Uh, where are the next trends that you see? Because, you know, uh, the NBFC, as you mentioned, the wholesale lending has been some, uh, a good portion of their earnings uh, over the last five to 10 years. Uh, where do the trends go from here? Uh, do you mean in financial services? Or yes. do you mean in... All right, all right. Um, I would think that uh, private banks would become uh, a very core part of uh, Indian banking system. Uh, they have been, but I think they will consolidate even further. Uh, I think uh, you would have, uh, I mean, there was a time in 1990s and all when PSU banks uh, ruled uh, the roost kind of thing. And I think the time for private banks uh, to kind of consolidate their exposures because now they also have a very, very wide reach compared to what they used to have earlier. And uh, only if you see policy changes on a little bit of flexibility given to some of these uh, private banks or the banking institutions, sure. uh, the whole genesis of NBFCs uh, coming into play is that uh, there was a limitation to what banks could do. Right, right. So, do you see the NBFC still evolving and innovating and still being relevant in the future? Uh, of course, I would think so. Uh, I don't think it's a space uh, that cannot exist in India. Uh, we have a very vast population and it's very difficult to reach the, uh, you know, the end consumer at all points in time. And I think NBFCs have got a good reach in that sense. Sure. Uh, I think what makes it also viable is that uh, NBFCs now, unlike the earlier times, will have a, a better rate of funding compared to earlier. I mean, just as if they would lend at 10-12%, they might be able to lend sub-10% now right. uh, with this interest rate scenario changing. And uh, that itself might motivate uh, you know, the, the segment to grow uh, right. because there will always be a set of lenders who can't provide uh, you know, the, all the eligible documents that you actually require to get aligned. Sure, sure. No, and, uh, you know, completely agree. I think, you know, to service the entire population of India at a certain stage or even in the future will definitely lead us to move from, you know, banks to NBFCs to, you know, we're seeing a lot of fintech startups as well. And sort of, you know, maybe talking a few things uh, on the startup. Uh, we've seen, and obviously the Ray family or the Putney family and the Ray uh, family office uh, does a lot of startup investments, uh, seed funding, etc. Uh, do you think this might go through a lull period in the shorter term with some sort of startup funding, uh, which was, you know, more of a, a free-flowing pre-COVID than what we'll see now? When, there are, when the times are dire like they are today, uh, I believe that there are always bottom fishers. Uh, India and investors in India are very, very happy to see uh, multi-baggers, as we call it. And uh, um, I wouldn't think that there would be a shortage of flows uh, for the startups. 
I think they will just have to fight a little harder in the space that they are to uh, secure the attention of some of the uh, investing community. Got it. And you know, sort of in the startup space also, we are seeing a good amount of interest on tech for obvious reasons, right? This platform that we use. Uh, but we're probably not seeing an Indian tech company come up as much or by the amount uh, that you would expect ideally. Do you see that happening in the future? So I would, uh, uh, I would think that uh, we have developed some tech companies. Uh, okay. I mean, uh, Nika is a classic example of how it's grown. Uh, you yeah. see Big Basket, something which we've used so, so heavily in this time. Uh, they're all homegrown uh, in that context. So uh, I would think that we do have our share. Uh, the last count I thought was we had some 60 unicorns uh, uh, in India, uh, out of which only about 12 or 13 were based in India, out of India, registered in India. Well, this no. that is absolutely debatable, but um, I would think that uh, we do have a good pipeline of uh, tech companies. Um, okay. In fact, in the last three years, I have only seen them grow. And uh, um, I would think that, uh, you know, motivated by their success, uh, we should have a lot more uh, focus on uh, tech, even for the traditional companies. So, for example, uh, we have some investee companies where uh, they were traditional uh, 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 store run companies, let me put it like that. Sure. And now their whole business model is either, uh, you know, uh, pivoting towards Omni or it's pivoting towards more of digital. So uh, that itself shows that, uh, you know, now is the time when India is evolving into more digital space as well. Got it. Got it. And sort of, you know, that this probably the next is probably the most important and the most interesting question, uh, you know, on the street out there. You know, what is driving the markets upwards other than liquidity? Sort of, you know, seemingly ignoring... Uh, what I would like to believe is sort of the unknown state on the ground. Are we seeing some sort of buying panic as well? Uh, there are two things that have come to my mind uh, when I think about where markets are today versus where they were in March. Let's put it like that. Sure. So, uh, Feb to March was quite a shock. I think the whole, um, you know, the whole system got a kind of disbelief, goes into disbelief uh, of what actually transpired and what's hit us you know, in that sense, because uh, I don't think especially Indian markets or India has actually seen a widespread pandemic, unlike the Ebola, which happened in Africa or the swine flu or anything like that. Sure. So I think that was the first knee jerk reaction. Right. Uh, secondly, I think that uh, most of the companies that we actually uh, saw the numbers, like you've seen the result season is almost over. And uh, I think that was quite a given, considering that, uh, you know, uh, most of the industries were shut. Uh, April, May was quite a washout, etc. Right. What I believe is that people have started understanding that uh, this was a shock, a one-time shock, which was quite severe, right? Whilst the, uh, whilst the aftermath of it might continue for maybe two quarters or three quarters, etc., uh, our companies are not really so fragile that they would go under, let me put it like that, especially not the, not the ones that are reflected in the Nifty or the, you know, the top 200 sure. in that context. 
so i think uh, what uh, what what gives confidence is rbi the way they have been handling the situation that's one mm-hmm. uh, two is also i think uh, uh, what does market do market always uh, projects a return right so sure. when a new normal is an acceptable new normal uh, based on certain conditions uh, the money starts flowing back to the underlying and who is that a lot of people uh, have actually lost their jobs in this uh, in right. this uh, crisis right so uh, a lot you might have seen a lot of reports also uh, of how retail investors have started participating in the markets uh, for us that's a great thing because honestly we are a huge population i mean even if uh, you know we have uh, 15 to 20% of the population participating on retail correct i think it's a huge number so we are ultimately not dependent on the lics of the world to bail us out sure and i think that's a very encouraging trend so i would think that uh, uh, we are uh, i don't see markets going really really berserk from here Um, okay. but uh, i don't think that it's only global flows etc i i am in disbelief of that uh, i mean global flows will come and go i okay. think uh, we have better flows than what we were uh, domestically than what we used to have historically no super when you know nikhil was actually there from zeroda the other day okay. uh, on the jagarnath and he saying that his number is 25 30% Uh, where the retail participation or india population grows in the next 4 uh, to 5 years so we got to see how that shapes up but i'm sure he's up for a lot of competition as well sure uh, i just heard of one competitor launching a similar thing 2 days ago so, okay okay yeah so no, no, that's good for us right at the end of the day it's good for india uh, you yeah, know a lot yeah. of people trying to do different things and uh, serve better more than anything else absolutely perfect uh, you know whenever you know a lot of our audience also wants to understand uh, who we are talking to so what is that one aspect uh, that no one knows about you personally personally professionally that nobody knows about you uh i think it is more that uh, i'm not a dig deep person okay um so i wouldn't uh, i mean I wouldn't dig too much into research reports, and uh, you know, kind of try to make a lot, a lot of algorithms around it. Sure. Uh, I am a, a logical, analytical person, and I believe a lot in my gut. Excellent, excellent, superb. So we reached the end of this machine gun fifteen, and I'm happy to say, you know, you come up with flying colors, <laughs> and uh, your coffee with current hamper should reach you as soon as this. uh hopefully we reach unlock 10 and when everything opens up uh but sort of you know on the unlock and the lockdown which we've seen sort of you know going in and out uh where are we headed in this manner uh i would think that this is here to stay and uh we will see partial uh bits of things getting tighter and getting a little freer as uh we go along the next 6 to 8 months um i'm a firm believer that uh, uh, you know things will get normal sooner than later okay uh, so i really don't uh, worry too much on this stump i think you got to take different things in your stride and move on um we should just focus on what's good for um, 
personally and professionally what's good for you and for your companies at such a point in time. Sure. And uh, of course, you should be very respectful of the health crisis. I, I don't demean that at all. Uh, but I think that uh, we ha- we have to we have to live around challenges that we face. Okay, fair, fair. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we generally talk about uh, with investors, clients, family office, etc., is sort of the trinity of you know expectations from the investor side, the reality on the ground, and sort of matching that with the liquidity. Uh, needs of that particular investor. Uh, as a family office, how do you guys manage something like this and make sure that all these three points are at one point? Uh, I think in any form of investment, uh, one needs to be very clear about uh, a realistic expectation. All right. Sure. So when we are setting goals for the year, when we are setting, uh, you know, kind of our our uh, return expectations, our risk profiles, etc. I think what uh, what I can share with you one thing which happened, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, is that um, we, let's say, assumed, uh, uh, you know, we would aim for an X return for the year. Okay. And then every year the promoter would come back and say that, why don't we make X plus 20%? And then the next year, X plus 20%. So, what we had to do was dial him back and actually uh, put a very realistic number where he said that we will not be discussing the return expectation number henceforth because this is what we will achieve every year as far as possible right Right. because the risk profile of the investor doesn't change right Uh, it's only the perception uh, that he has of his risk which changes in his mind sure so I think expectation management can only be done if you are setting your goal uh, uh, you know realistic plus maybe 20 percent you know let's put it like that so that uh, uh, one can actually have a sense of achievement when you get there and uh, uh, can have a sense of continuity because in investments uh, the CAGR matters the 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 pump up of one day trade or five day trades doesn't really matter Right. It's the consistency that delivers uh, a good fund manager or a good uh, asset allocator. Sure. So I think that's what we kind of uh, balanced with. Okay. And you, you know, you talked about uh, sort of a good asset allocator, uh, the ability to sort of, uh, you know, get into a plan, etc. Uh, from your point of view, what constitutes diversification? Um. I would think uh, most investors that I've seen uh, tend to have a lot of skew in uh, their portfolios uh, to real estate as an asset class. Uh, This is just because it's a tangible asset class. I think two things that I've seen is real estate and diamonds. I don't even want to say gold anymore. Uh, So so my sense is if you uh, keep a outer range of how much of that should be part of a portfolio and if you balance the rest across uh, public investments and private investments uh, based on your each one's risk return profile i think that actually helps deliver a longer term objective sure sure and you know sort of talking on diversification as well 
our ecosystem is definitely growing. We are seeing more and more products, what we've seen, alternate products uh, in AIFs, structured products, REITs, Inwits, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you see the next five years to sort of, you know, aid maybe a family office or any investor, uh, whether in terms of new products that are coming up, in terms of compliance, or even from a regulation point of view? I think our uh, our uh, services platform, financial services platform, has uh, really evolved in these last two decades, uh, which I've been a part of. And uh, I think that uh, they've got a lot more streamlined uh, than they used to be. Um, uh, the fact that SEBI actually has guidelines, uh, the fact that you know there's more adherence to those guidelines. Um, uh, mutual funds are within a certain range of what they can do and can't do. Uh, I think uh, uh, we are actually set a correct framework for the expansion. Uh, products are just fitments within that framework. Um, so it's extremely difficult to pinpoint which product would actually go the correct way. Uh, but to give you uh, some sense on uh, the, uh, you know the, the ethos, uh, is that you would actually uh, plug and play products. So we do a reverse thing and I would suggest most uh, investors should uh, kind of adhere to that if they actually want their long-term goals met is uh, uh, first decide a framework of your allocation. And uh, once that framework is determined, uh, we see a lot of products on our desk. So what we try and do is we see the fitment of any product uh, in that framework. So for example, and to simplify it, um, let's say we have an X allocation to equity. And let's say that we have an X allocation to debt. And let's say something like a Bharat bond ETF comes up, right? Sure. Now it depends on, uh, so how would you view something like that? What you would view it in the light of is that, okay, how much tax-free bonds do I have in the portfolio, right? Or how much bonds do I have in the portfolio? Is there uh, a likelihood of more tax-free to get allocated in the coming time? If the answer is yes, or if the answer is no. If the answer is no, uh, at the historic rates of seven and eight percent, then you actually use it as a fitment uh, to an alternate to tax free within that framework and start creating a replenishing pipeline of what you want as a consistent return. Got it. Got it. No, that's a very interesting uh, way to look at it uh, in terms of you know just starting making a blueprint first and then sort of. Working your way down to maybe even the investment team at the end of the day. Perfect. Um, you know, we, a lot of the talk has been right now to do with China, right? Uh, where import duties, chemicals, TikTok, US and China, etc. How do you think this will play out? And do you think India will actually benefit? Um. It's a 50-50 kind of position in my mind at the moment. Um, I think uh, unlike the way China has had a, a, you know, a head start where India and China were both at the same position a few years ago in the 80s, uh, I think the way their policies work are more controlled top-down. And uh, 
I still feel that India is still controlled by the states uh, fairly much. Sure. And um, I think that the whole benefit will actually work if uh, out of 29 states, let's say at least 10 to 12 states get the idea that this is the way to go, right? So I feel that it's a lot more uh, micro uh, than it being uh, how and how the implementation and the, uh, you know, the free flow with the uh, central government works. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So there is there's definitely potential to come out of these trumps. Uh, of course there is. There is always potential. See, because uh, unlike, I mean, you just don't know how the politics of the world changes, right? Sure. So, uh, we are just around the corner for a US election. Okay. And, uh, you know, if we have any other outcome than what we are seeing, uh, you know, than anticipated with the policies of Mr. Uh, Trump, Right. Then you might just have a different world post-November. So um, <laughs> I just feel that uh, you got to go with the politics of the world. And I think that's becoming increasingly important as well. Uh, because unlike earlier times, uh, we are far, far more connected on, uh, you know, I mean, just two days back, what happened in Beirut? I mean, a few years ago, you wouldn't care what happened in Beirut, right? Sure. Uh, you know, so I mean, that's where I'm coming from. No, fair. And sort of you're taking a more holistic picture. And this is probably the most interesting question uh, that comes up. You know, across your two decades of experience, uh, you know, what is that one significant tuition fee that you have paid to the market uh, that you want to talk about? You know, it can be recent, uh, can be from your past experiences, wherever it was something that really stands out where you had a significant amount of learnings as well. Uh, one thing that comes to mind uh, very clearly is um, so we have this very clear philosophy of uh, booking returns uh, very very systematically right it's a discipline we've been following for as long as I've been managing this sure so we have a system where we follow a profit booking on the assets on a consistent basis in a year I think, uh, and we do it uh, systematically across two phases in the year. I think uh, last year, I think uh, I decided to do a little less of the proportion of what um, I would normally do okay. uh, uh, in that sense. And uh, I think that's one thing which uh, I've learned that you should stick to the discipline no matter what, um, uh, you know. No matter what, it's very it's very easily said. It's very difficult to do, sure. um, but uh, and we've done it. We've done it over the years, which has given us some fantastic returns. But I think that uh, uh, you know you just never know what kind of a world you wake up in every day. So uh, you know you got to keep that discipline to uh, drive the consistency. Okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. We've almost reached to the end of it. Just one more question: What would you be telling? Uh, investors who may be starting to invest in Jan of this year or late last year and have right. seen a good amount of uh, pain, not only sort of in uh, the equity side, uh, but, you know, we had a couple of debt incidents as well. And a lot of their hard-earned money is sort of, you know, uh, stuck in these investments. What would What is that one piece of advice that you would want to tell them? I would think that uh, what 
what one needs to do is be very very clear on the risk that one is willing to take uh, in in an asset class whether be equity or debt honestly my view is that debt is far more riskier than equity <laughs> I mean, that's always been the case. I have hailed from debt markets. Uh, I have spent a good amount of years on the front desk there. And uh, I can only tell you that it's a far more riskier market than equity market, unlike what the general belief is. Uh, but having said that, uh, I think what one needs to do is have, as I said, not an incremental return expectation, have a realistic return expectation. If you follow that rule, uh, what you will end up doing is taking the, a reasonable amount of risk uh, for the return that you aim to make. And if that is the uh, method of uh, investment, the likelihood of you achieving that return is fairly high. So uh, whether you're invested in Jan, Feb, you know, before a catastrophe, after a catastrophe, um, uh, I just feel that um, you should keep your head down and make sure that you don't let the noise clutter your brain. Uh, that's that's simply put. Uh, you know, it's a herd mentality is the worst thing to follow. And uh, uh, you know, if you have the conviction or your investment uh, advisor has the conviction, I think uh, uh, you should honor that. And uh, and classic case in point, uh, I mean, which happens to every family is that when you see a crash. Uh, you know, my uh, principal actually came back to me and said, okay, why don't these guys just shut off the markets? Why do we have to see these, uh, you know, why do we need to see this? And, uh, you know, the first thing I told him, that's a very bad idea. You know, you cannot have markets frozen because that loses credibility of the markets, right? So today, a market determines that there is a buyer at some point, right? A classic thing which happened in the debt markets in India, was that there was no buyer on the other side, right? So a market means a buyer and a seller at whatever price. So I just feel that uh, people should remember that and that's the way it should flow. Okay. Uh, fair, fair. Uh, you know, thank you so much for your time, Benefer. It's been uh, wonderful talking to you and finally getting to meet you, although in the digital world that we live in. Uh, but, you know, thank you for your insights and giving us this time. I'm sure our audience will appreciate a lot of those nuggets that you threw around in this conversation. Uh, and here's wishing you and your team at Ray a wonderful 2020 and uh, expectations plus 30%. <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Jay. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I hope you and the, your audience really benefits. Uh, if there are any questions, uh, uh, you know, on what more, uh, I'd be happy to kind of take them at another time. Perfect. Super. Thank you so much for your time, Vinefa. Sure. All the very best. Thank you.